Four Corners Church exists to provide families in North Cincinnati their greatest opportunity to become fully developing followers of Christ. We hope that this week's episode encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We would love to hear from you. So at any time, email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com, and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. Well, once again, welcome to Four Corners Church. My name is Ben. Welcome to everybody in the room and everybody online. I'm so glad that you're with us. Today, I'm doing the second week in a message series called Pray Again, and that's why the intro video that you saw there is the one that was chosen, because I want to teach you a special prayer today that's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. And the prayer I want to teach you today is not for super Christians. It's not for people who have it all together, been following Jesus for years, and then you achieve some level of Christianity, and when you get there, you can pray a prayer like this. No, this is actually the beginning. This is the kind of prayer that at the beginning of a relationship with Jesus or at any point along the way, when you pray a prayer like this, I'm going to tell you what happens. God hears it, and he'll answer you. This is one of those prayers that is so much right in the middle of God's will for you that when you pray it, you don't have to wonder, is God going to listen to me? You don't have to wonder, is God going to hear me? You don't have to wonder, is God going to move and do something? The Bible's very clear. When you have this attitude, when you have this mindset, God shows up and does powerful things. I'm going to teach you the phrase, and then we're going to look at the Bible, all right? So here's the phrase, simple prayer. It says, God, break my heart. God, break my heart. God, break my heart. Now, on the count of three, if you're in the room, even when you're watching at home, maybe you can type it if you want, but just as a way of participating, getting your heart ready, would you say it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. God, break my heart. Now, this is not a prayer for the faint of heart. This is not the kind of prayer that you pray because you're getting up in the morning and you feel great, and because you feel great, you just want God to show up and make your day even better. This is not the kind of prayer you pray just haphazardly. It's the kind of prayer you pray when you're serious about God showing up in your life. God, break my heart. It may sound funny, to think about praying a prayer like that. It may feel a little bit odd because it kind of go against, it goes against the grain of a lot of the prayers that I pray. God bless my day. God help my kids not to be crazy today. God give me a great parking spot today. God bless me. God keep me safe. God give me what I want. This prayer that we're learning about today is the exact opposite of those kinds of prayers at first glance. It's the kind of prayer that says, God, I want you to reach into my soul and touch the deepest parts of me. In the Bible, when people had this attitude, when they prayed prayers like this, God showed up and did profound things. When their hearts were broken, God did big things. I want to take you to a couple stories, for instance. I, I think, for instance, of the prophet in the Old Testament, Nehemiah. He's a prophet, he's a leader, he's a builder, he's a life changer. He's the kind of guy that God used powerfully to help his people. He's the kind of guy whose life spoke so loudly that we're still studying him today. And Nehemiah had an incredibly privileged position. His job, listen to this job, he was the cup bearer to the king. What that meant was, at first it sounds a little dangerous, the king's position was so elevated, people wanted his power, and so people would try to poison the king. And so each king had a cupbearer who would literally bring the glass of wine to the king, but before the king would drink it, they would taste it first. And then everybody would watch. And if there was no foaming at the mouth, if he didn't instantly collapse, they'd give it a little bit of time, and then the king would drink or eat the food that was presented to him. And this meant that Nehemiah was close to the king. This meant Nehemiah had a certain amount of privilege. This meant that Nehemiah often had the king's ear. He was there when important decisions were made over meals. 
It was a privileged position, and which was really special because Nehemiah wasn't Babylonian like the king was Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was the king of Babylon, but Nehemiah was a little Israeli Jewish boy from across the desert. And he had been exiled into Babylon with about two-thirds of his people. They were living as refugees, as immigrants in this country. Most of them did not have elevated positions, but Nehemiah had risen through the ranks and had earned an honorable position. One day... He's talking to a couple of people who had recently just visited his homeland. And they come back telling stories of what life is like back at home. And as Nehemiah hears these stories, they're not pleasant. It literally crushes him. It it literally brings sadness. It makes him not think about how privileged he is. It makes him think about a world that is broken a world that isn't put together, a world that needs a lot of help. And for a moment, Nehemiah's life, that privileged position that he had, the safety and the security that he had as a person who has the king's ear and the king's best interest, a part of that royal court, that privileged position no longer is the thing that's on his heart and on his mind. What's on his heart and his mind are the other people. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, on the screens in the room or on the screen as you're watching, here's what our Bible says. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. That's the imagery. Charcoal, dust. The gates are down so the city is open. The people who are in the inhabitants of the city, they are vulnerable to attack. It's a rough situation for them. Look at the next few words in the Bible. Nehemiah writing, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed Before the God of heaven. Now this is the situation that breaks Nehemiah's heart. And when his heart is broken, he sits down, he mourns, he cries, he's troubled, he fasts. So in the Christian tradition, fasting is to go without food for a while in order to draw closer to God. You may not know this, but in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for fasting, here's what it literally means. It means I cover my mouth. So I cover my mouth so food can't get in. I cover my mouth because I'm overwhelmed with what I've seen and I I can't talk. It's almost like a a gasp. (gasps) And I don't know when the last time you gasped was. Just a few weeks ago, we have a friend who went through a really rough situation. When I first heard about it, I literally, sitting at the table, went, (gasps) put my hand over my mouth. There are things in life that can capture your attention in such a way that the current situation you're in is no longer the most important thing on your mind. Instead, what gets on your mind is the heartache and the pain and the challenge of what you just heard about. That's where Nehemiah was. And as a follower of God, when his heart was troubled, he goes to God. And he considers exactly what he's heard. And he talks to the king of heaven. Now, he's regularly chatting with the king of the greatest power, political power, military power in the world. But in this situation, he talks to the king of heaven. Now, I want to tell you something. We live in a world that if we could strip away the privileged position that a lot of us are in, if we could strip away some of the economic coverings that that disguise some of the pain and hurt in our world, it would look, if we could see with spiritual eyes, the world we live in would look a little bit, I think, like Jerusalem looked in Nehemiah's day. There's some rubble. There's some vulnerabilities that are exposed. There's some ash and some smoke where there's been some challenges. 
And I just want to ask you disciples for just a moment, what in the world that you live in is capturing your heart? In the world that you live in, what is pressing through your comfortable life, if you have one, your challenged life, if you don't, and remind you that the world you're living in is broken, not complete. There are hurting people, and there are challenges. When's the last time your heart was broken? Now, this may not sound like the most encouraging message in the world, but I want to tell you something. I think that we underestimate the incredible good that God does on the other side of a heart that is broken by what breaks his heart. I think we devalue the power of our hearts being touched with the pain and the sin and the discouragement and the evil in this world. I think we undervalue what happens when God grips our heart with the pain, the challenge, and the vulnerabilities of other people. And because we do that, when I talk about having your heart touched deeply or having your heart broken, it feels like a big downer. I mean, it certainly doesn't match the bless me, bless me, bless me life that I pray for. It doesn't match the comfort and the ease that I work for. It's so much easier for me to think about my stresses and my challenges than it is for me to consider even briefly what other people are going through. And there's a reason we do that, and it's not simply because we're selfish and we need to spiritually mature. Oh, no, 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 that maybe that's part of it. But it's because we don't understand that it's often at the beginning of great things in the kingdom of God that what God first does is touch the heart of one of his children with something that is troubling, with a burden, a burden. Now, in the church I grew up in, we used to take prayer requests in the middle of service. In, in the middle of our church service, our pastor would stand up or some you know, leader in the church would stand up, and he would say in our group, our very large church of about 45 people, he would say, does anybody have any prayer requests? Now, because we didn't have any visitors, everybody knew what we meant. This was the time you would raise your hand or you would stand up and you would vocalize all the challenges that were going on in your life and you were asking your brothers and sisters in the room to pray with you about them. At the end of the time of receiving the prayer request, the pastor would lead in a prayer and kind of click through all the things, praying for Sister Johnson's kid who's going through a thing, praying for Brother Sam's job interview. You get the idea, right? As a kid, reflecting back on that time, and as an adult, reflecting on so many of my concerns are about me and the little bit of the world that I'm very aware of. And that's not wrong, by the way. It should touch your heart. You should be concerned about things. But there is a deeper, more powerful, life-altering burden that God puts intentionally on the shoulders of his kids. Not because he's uncaring, not because he wants to stress you out, but because he knows that the deep things of life, the deep things of life, you want to know what makes something deep? Do you want to know the, the opposite of shallow? The opposite of shallow isn't deep. The opposite of shallow is personal. It's personal. It's kind of like the definition between minor and major surgery. You know the definition, don't you? The difference is, is that a major surgery is what happens to me. A minor surgery is what happens to you. The opposite of shallow is personal. And on occasion, God will touch your heart with a personal, priority, powerful sense of the challenge the pain, the sin, and the brokenness going on in the world around you, in somebody else's life, in a community, a global issue. And everywhere in the Bible, somebody got busy after God, almost every place, without stretching the scripture at all, you can see that a person or a small group of people 
had their hearts, if you'll give me just a little bit of leverage here, had their hearts broken over something that was more than just themselves. You see, for instance, you see in, in, in Mark chapter 14 or Matthew chapter 26, they both tell the same story. Jesus is in the last hours of his life. And he's gathering with his disciples. They're about to have their final meal together. And a woman shows up in that crowd, and she has a little alabaster jar, kind of a hand-hewn vial of expensive perfume, myrrh. All kinds of special things happens with myrrh in the Bible. It's what you anoint kings with. It's what you bring to the body of a dead person. It's reserved for the most special thing. And this particular vial, this alabaster jar, the perfume in it is so expensive, it's worth about a year's wages, about a year's worth of work. And she, in front of this crowd of men, does something that's so profound. The Bible says that she breaks the seal on her alabaster jar, and she pours out this expensive perfume, broken and poured out, and she anoints Jesus' head and his body in a lavish display of extravagance on him, a year's salary in a moment wasted. It was so profound that a lot of people sitting around literally used the word, isn't that such a waste? She could have sold this, they said, and given money to the poor. That would have been a much better use for this than pouring it out in the moment. Jesus experiences this. Here's what he says. That what, what this woman has done is never going to be forgotten. It's going to be going to be talked about a lot. And then just five verses later, he's sitting around a table with some of these same people. And he takes a piece of bread. And the Bible says he breaks it. And he takes wine and he pours it out. And when he breaks the bread, he says to them, this bread is the new covenant. It is my broken body broken for you. And this wine poured out, it's my blood shed for you, broken and poured out. Broken and poured out twice in Mark chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 26. Extravagant display of love, understanding the importance of the moment. This woman was in tune with the power and the privilege of Jesus and somehow inspired to give this incredible display towards him just hours before his death, almost as if she's anointing his dead body before he's dead. And then Jesus brings incredible symbolism using that imagery and those words broken and poured out to talk about the great sacrifice that he would make. And it's not a sacrifice he wanted to make in and of himself because just a few hours before this, he prays the prayer, God, if at all possible, let this cup poured out cup, let it pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to pass by. But what I want to do is not important. What you want to do, that's what I want to do. When you pray the prayer, God, break my heart with whatever's breaking your heart, God. God, what has your attention, make it my attention. When you do that, you're basically praying the prayer Jesus prayed in the garden. God, not my will, but your will be done. I want my heart to be moved with the things that move your heart. I want what matters to you to matter to me. I want what has captured the imagination of God to capture my imagination. And when you pray prayers like that, it will literally revolutionize your walk with God and you'll step beyond the shallow, bless me, which is okay, but it's a beginning point, and you'll move to the deeply personal engagement of how your faith and my faith is supposed to make a difference in this world. So I, I want to tell you a couple things. I think, for instance, that it is better to have a burden on you and to walk in the purpose that God has called you than to walk free of any burdens at all. And so much of Christianity, if we're not careful, promises to alleviate your pain, to make your life better, to make it easier for you in this world. And in some ways, it really does some of that. But understand this, you were never blessed by God to simply absorb the blessing. 
I was never given privilege by God to just enjoy it myself. All that I've been given, all that you've been given, all of it is meant so that we can experience what God has for us and then he can use us to help other people experience what he has for them. And one of the enemy's greatest, greatest, greatest confusions, greatest cover-ups, greatest deceptions is to get you and I so focused in our spiritual life on us, our four and no more, that we spend all of our prayer and all of our energy and all of our blessing on just us. And when we do that, what's at stake is not simply that other people don't get what God has for them, although that happens. It is that you will remain immature and undeveloped in your purpose. See, I think it's better to hurt with a purpose than to live without one at all. I think it's better to carry the burden that God has designed for you to carry, the thing that he wants to awaken in your heart, than to live a life of ease and comfort. I think it's brave to ask God to break your heart with what breaks his. I just don't think that we're challenged enough to do it. And when we are challenged to do it, I don't think we're brave enough to walk. And one more time, the opposite of shallow is not deep. The opposite of a shallow engagement is when it becomes personal for you. So, disciples, when's the last time that the pain and brokenness and evil and sin in this world became personal for you? Sometimes it happens because the pain and the evil in this world touches our own lives. Some sinful dynamic shows up in our family. Some evil in this world touches us directly. There's abuse or addiction or some other kind of mistreatment. Somebody betrays. There's incredible pain relationally. Something happens in our body. Our bodies get broken. And in that moment, we begin to wake up to the realities that other people have had these things too. Now, on a, on a completely unrelated note, have you ever noticed, for those of you that have uh, bought a car, in the last four or five years. Like, our family's into cars. We don't buy new cars. We buy used cars. And, but, but whenever we, we start looking at cars, like, that's all we do for days. And so we, we buy a car. Did that just a few months ago. And when I bought that car, I thought, this car is kind of unique. Like, nobody else has one. You know? It's like my car. And then I'm driving around. You know what I noticed? They're all over the place. Same color, same style, same type. I never saw so many cars like the one I bought until I had a personal connection with one. Now, in the same way, God sometimes will use pain in your life to make you aware of the challenges and difficulties in other people's lives. And if we're not careful, here's what the enemy will do. He will try to get you to so focus on you and your own experience that you forget that one of the greatest miracles in the kingdom of God is that God will use your pain, your challenge, to help other people. You become a person who receives grace and power and direction and purpose as you're going through your thing, but not just deposited in you. No, no, no. It actually passes through you. It's people who have struggled in their family with the challenge of addiction that are the most passionate about the power of God to help break addiction in other people's lives. People don't wake up, wake up one day and go, I think I'll get serious about helping people in addiction. No, what happens is the pain of life touches them and God brings a purpose to that pain. This is what happened to Nehemiah. He's totally comfortable eating the best food. He's in a position of privilege above most everybody else in his situation, and yet God comes crashing in on him. And what could he have done? He could have pushed it off. He could have said, that's not my issue. He could have said, I'll pray for them. He could put a, a, a post on Facebook, right? And he could have felt a certain amount of emotional release. But instead, God broke his heart. And he took it to God in prayer. And he covered his mouth. He fasted. 
And he began to talk to God about what was going on. Every great disciple of God who is not just growing personally, but being used by God as light in a dark world, every one of them has some brush with this dynamic I'm talking about. Look at how the Apostle Paul writes about his own in Romans chapter 9 on the screen. He's writing to the Roman church. He says these words, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is the deep reflection of my heart. I have great sorrow and uneasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. In other words, God, here, here's what I'm willing to do. I am so serious about you reaching the people you've called me to that if I need to not be reached so they can be reached, let's do that. If I need to be cut off and cursed so they can be touched, that's good with me. Now, this is a man eat up with this burden that God has put on his life. And it animates him. It directs him. It allows him to have a certain amount of grit and tenacity, beaten and stoned and put in prison, but faithful and ongoing. Why? Because a challenge in this world, a sinful moment in this world, darkness in this world has come to him in such a way that he can't push it out. Instead, he goes to God and in effect he says, God, use me. It has become personal for him. It's become personal. In your Old Testament, Ezekiel, the prophet, look at what he says God would do in people. Speaking as it were for God, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God has this unique way of softening our hearts, breaking our hearts for what breaks his. And again, this is not, this is not for spiritually mature people. Every person who comes to Christ, on some level, everyone who's ever committed their life to Christ, on some level, their heart is broken by the fact that they can't save themselves. They're in sin, a sinner in need of a Savior, and they come to God empty-handed, and they say, all my acts of righteousness, all my good deeds, all of my well-wishing, all of my comparison, they haven't done it. I give that to you, and God, in exchange, will you give me the work you did on my behalf? See, when your heart is broken and you begin to pour yourself out, what happens is God shows up and fills up you in a way all the comforts and all the satisfying things of life that were promised will satisfy, satisfy us. And all the, the little comforting movements that we make, they no longer satisfy. But what drives you is, is I must get about my father's business. This world is broken in a way. God has blessed me in a way. I've got to do something with that. It could be said that every act of worship in a believer's life, like even a few minutes ago when we were singing, is an act of being broken and poured out. Every one of them. Imagine this. We, we sing words about an all-powerful God who knows everything, who's always with us, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who is the great physician. He's the one who speaks peace to the troubled storms of our life and to our world. We have nothing to bring except our broken imperfection. And then out of this place of acknowledgement of his greatness and our need of him, we pour out to him just his grandeur and his awesomeness. And when that happens, God begins to rejuvenate the soul. Worship is powerful because it doesn't begin with our awesomeness. It begins with God, and it begins with our need of him. And all we can do is give him the the filthy rags of our life, and he takes them, and in exchange, he gives us beautiful robes to put on. This is what the woman with the alabaster jar did. This is what Jesus does at the Last Supper. And I want to remind you of something, that your quest and my quest for convenience or for comfort is never going to inspire you to live passionately 
one more time, what breaks your heart? Or has the enemy been successful to make your challenges and the pain in this world, has he been successful to make you retreat to some place where it's a constant quest for your comfort, for your for and for no more? If so, he has been successful to rob you of the great privilege that comes when your heart has been touched by the pain of this world. When your heart breaks with what breaks God's heart, because when that happens, there's a passion and a purpose that will rise up in your life that will help you not just manage your own stuff, but begin to see the hand of God in a dark and broken world. It will light you on fire in the night. It will give you grit and tenacity. Sometimes this shows up because it's touched your life. Sometimes it shows up just because you're angry by what you see in the world. It makes you shake your head. That shouldn't be that way. Somebody should do something about that. Many of us had these thoughts recently when the sin of racism creeped up again in our country in an unavoidable way. And then others of us had that way when we saw anarchy as a response to brokenness, which never works. We saw violence in response to racism doesn't work. And we said that shouldn't be and that shouldn't be. And, and you're right. And it, it, it's easy to get moved by the brokenness of our world. But as disciples, God wants to do more than that. In that anger that we feel, there's often the echo of the Holy Spirit calling to us saying, what are you, my child, going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? It's Moses watching daily his brothers being beaten in Egypt. There was a time when he should have covered his mouth, prayed, and talked to the Lord of heaven about it, but he didn't. He killed an Egyptian, left his body in the sand. And you would think that 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 moment would be the end of his journey with God, but no, 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 no. It delayed some things for a while, for 40 years. And Moses has all but forgotten it. He's trying to get away from it and get to himself to a place of comfort. So he gets married in a faraway land. He goes into the shepherding business where it's him and a bunch of sheep on some deserted piece of property out in the hills west or east of Judea. And it's there in that place that God reminds him of the ultimate call on his life. The thing that was breaking his heart and making him angry and the thing he couldn't avoid all along. God calls Moses through the burning bush to lead his children. From the land of slavery to the land of promise. And I want to tell you something. God still calls his children. You, not somebody special, you. He still calls you and me to get about leading a broken, blind, hurting world to all that God has for them. It's David, again, a shepherd boy. Unknown, youngest in his family, short, who runs out onto a battlefield and screams to the giant, you may think I'm small, but who are you to defy the armies of God? That's not going to happen on my watch, David says. When's the last time your heart was broken or you were angry about something, not to simply post and talk to your group, not to simply combat verbally, but to get in the trenches and get out of the shallow engagement into the personal engagement and get deep with it. You know, I don't think it's because we're just selfish. I think the enemy has convinced many of us that there isn't joy to be had when we carry the burden that God puts on our heart. That the burden God puts on our heart is too heavy. You're already too stressed. You already have too much going on that to boldly follow God as he directs is going to stress you too much. It's going to put too much pressure over here. It's a lie from the enemy that you cannot carry the burden that God's put on your heart. That is a lie. And it's meant to rob you of the deep joy that comes from walking in your purpose. It's the the mom that says, I'm too stressed out in life anyway. I can't deeply engage my husband right now. And the call that's on us to have a godly, life-giving marriage. It's too much going on. It's the man, the husband who says, 
I got too many pressures at work. I've tried a few things before. I never get it right. And if I press in on this issue with my wife to make our family better, it's going to bring all kinds of challenge and difficulty. When I was a teacher in high school at a Christian school, I was the chaplain and a teacher and taught Bible. More than once, I had parents say to me, Ben, this is a big deal. I know it's a big deal, but we don't have margin in our life right now to lean in with our child. I get it. Understandable. But I want to tell you what's going on. The enemy has been too successful to make us believe that our comfort, our sense of of ease in life is the thing that God has promised us. The real blessing of following Jesus, we're told, in effect, is this. If you can see it, you can get it. You can name it, you can claim it. God will elevate you to a plane where the hurt and the challenge of this world won't really touch you. There's two big problems with that kind of Christianity. That gospel has a hole in it. And here it is. The first hole is is that God never promised that he was going to elevate you away from any pain in this world. What he promised is is that he would go with you through it. And problem number two is, is that going with God in the direct pursuit of addressing a problem in this world and dealing with sin and showing up in a hard place is the deep joy that comes from walking in your purpose. It brings tenacity. There's a grit that comes when there's purpose in your pain. When it's the call of God on you, you stick with it when others walk out. If you've looked at abuse and said it should not be because you've experienced it or somebody you have has, it could be that that is where God is calling you to lean in. Or you've seen the economic challenges going on in our world and you think to yourself deeply, this is not right. Maybe that's where God wants you to lean in somehow, some way, to help a few. Instead of being overwhelmed that you can't do it for everybody, what if you just did something for someone as a way of saying, God, I don't think you're happy with this dynamic, and I'm not content either. God, break my heart and motivate me to get after what you're after. If you've been brokenhearted by the challenge of abortion in our country, Maybe it's more than just standing politically every four years and voting for the candidates you want. Maybe there's something more. I don't know what it is, but isn't that for you to figure out if that's your thing? God, break my heart with this issue in such a way that I get about stepping into that dark place. If you've been concerned about racism or the prejudging of policemen that has happened in our country over the last six, eight weeks, good Now, what is God calling you to in the middle of that? How are you going to be light in a dark world using your words to give life, using your actions to give life, pointing to Jesus? I'm asking you, when's the last time you had a holy burden, a holy fire, a holy anger that caused you to get up in the morning and say, I have work to do? If not, let me tell you what's happening. To some degree, the enemy has lulled you into believing what God has promised you is a life of comfort and ease, and all you have to do is hang on and you're going to be fine. But that is not discipleship. Discipleship is, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. And in the life you've given me, both with my challenges and with my privilege, would you allow me to leverage all of my story to be a part of what you're doing in this world? God breaks your heart, by the way, so that he can use you to be a builder in this world. Because your greatest blessings will often come out of your greatest breakings. Can I be honest with you? You know what has brought my life the greatest challenges? No, I'm not a victim, by the way. It's pastoring this church. The deepest hurts of my life have happened connected to this place. You know why I stay? Not because I'm awesome. I mean, honestly, I'm not awesome at all. You know why I stay? Because God called me here. God called me. God gave me a burden for families in North Cincinnati. That they wouldn't believe the lies of this world. That moms and dads would become serious disciples. And God would do a revolution in the first institution that he started, which is the family. I was privileged to grow up in a pretty good family. We weren't a good family. My mom and dad found Christ, and it changed everything. 
And from that position, God began to stir in my heart and help me to see the possibility of a church that came alongside moms and dads for the next generation and for themselves. And we got past just trying to make it through. And we got past easy Christianity that just said, oh, whatever you need, God will give it to you. Well, whatever you need, it's all about your comfort and your convenience. No, we would get in and we'd pray hard prayers and we'd have hard conversations and we'd work through hard things. And it has been uphill. But I feel like the most blessed man in the world. Not because it's been easy, but precisely because I can get up in the morning and know that God is still calling me to that place. It animates my purpose. It fills my life. And even when it's difficulty, even when there's difficulty, even when there's pain there, there is in me a burning fire that the mission is not complete. And that's not just for pastors. There are people in this church who lean into kids' ministry. There are a handful who lean into student ministry. Some lean into greeting. We, we have people in this church for 15 years have helped make this place a hospitable place so that people could walk in and begin to experience the love and the power of God because they believe that part of their purpose on earth is to help people understand and experience the heart of God. They haven't had easy lives. It hasn't been the most convenient thing in the world. It hasn't been without challenges. But in this, there is a resiliency to stick with what God put on their heart. It's a holy burden. One more time, this breaking of your heart, it's not for advanced Christians. It's the starting point. And you likely, and I likely, have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace the burden that God has put on your heart. The burden that God puts on your heart. The burden breaker, the burden bearer, the one who breaks the chains. We sing about that, and it's true. But there is another type of burden that is not meant to be lifted from you. It's meant to stay with you and keep you awake at night and make you get up in the morning and figure out how to do it better. It's the thing that will drive you to your knees consistently. It'll cause you to grow more than anything else as a disciple. And at the end of the day, it will be the source of your deepest joy in this life to be used by God in answering a challenge in this world. One more time, you likely have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace the burden that God has put in your heart. So don't push it away. Don't pray just for convenience. Don't look just for safety. There is a call on every disciple's life for their heart to be broken with what breaks God's heart. And God means for you to get up in the morning, put your clothes on, and get after it. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, no matter what you've heard about this passage, here's what it means. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We love that part, don't we? And then this next part, we don't even know what to do with it. And then take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Love the light burden, don't we? Let me give you some context here. The yoke is that thing that goes around the neck of an animal, probably an ox. And an ill-shaped yoke not fit for that ox makes the burden of the ox incredibly difficult. It will bruise the ox. It will wear the ox down. He'll have a short life and he'll be unproductive. But when the burden meant for the ox is put on the ox, the burden, or when the yoke that is meant for the ox is put on the ox, the burden of the ox is lighter and easier to bear. I'm not asking you to bear my burden. I'm asking you what burden has God put on you because when you embrace the burden, oh, you're going to feel the weight from time to time. But you will gravitate to the yoke. You will get up in the morning and ask God to put the yoke on you again. You'll learn how to do Sabbath so that you can sustain a walk with the yoke about you because it is the yoke that was meant for you. It fits just right. It allows you to carry the burden that God has put on your life. And the enemy would rather you not embrace the yoke at all so that you don't know that life-giving thing that happens in your heart. Because it's better to hurt and carry a burden with the purpose than to, not live, uh, than to live without one at all. It is this higher calling. It is a heavenly purpose. 
It is this experience of love and God's grace that has been poured into you and then gets poured out of you. It's what makes Psalm 18, verse 34, one of my favorite verses lately. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Part of how he does it is he redeems the crushing and the brokenness and he gives his fire in the middle of it to get you up, to get about his business. It allows you to say, I'm not backing down. I won't quit. I'm going to have what God says I can have, even if I have to wait on it, even if I have to pursue, even if nobody else gets it, because it's the burden he gave me. It's the call of my life in this season, and I'm running towards it. One more time, when was the last time your heart was broken for something that breaks the heart of God, that's bigger than just you four and no more? There is deep joy on the other side of the burden that God gives you. There is deep, satisfying joy. It'll reanimate your life. It will literally revive your soul. I dare you. I dare you to pray this prayer. God, break my heart with what breaks yours. I dare you. I dare you. In our church, we uh, end messages not just by being stirred, we end messages by taking steps. And so on your phone, connect 4C to 9400. There are some steps for you to take. Next step A says, today I want to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I'm making him my Savior and Lord. This is the ultimate act of acknowledging that you are broken. You pour out everything you have, and he takes it, <laughs> and then he says, that's not good enough. So instead, I'm going to give you my work on your behalf, my work on the cross and in the resurrection. I'm going to give that to you so that you can have a relationship with me. If you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus, I'd love for you to take your finger and press it over A and complete the form, send it to us. We want to communicate with you about what it means to be a follower of God. Our next step B says, today I want to be baptized. It's when you go under the water and you acknowledge that you have been brought to death with Christ and raised to new life with him. Our next step C, here's what it says. Each morning this week, I'll pray this prayer. God, I trust you're a good God. Break me of my, and then you fill in the blank with whatever you think God wants to break you about or with. If you don't know, just say, God, I don't know what you want to break my heart with. But make this prayer. God, break my heart over this matter. Break my heart with this thing, this thing in me that needs to be dealt with. God, break my heart over that and see what God does with it. Or next step, D. Why don't you find one tangible way this week for God to use your pain or your privilege, your abundance, to get about your father's business. Just one, one tangible way. And my prayer is, is that as you do that, that would so ex inspire you and motivate you and it would open up your spiritual eyes to see the hand of God that works and redeems even the painful places of your life for his good purpose and for your good. And then next step B says, I'd like to invite someone to join me. I'm asking you to invite somebody to join you online or on campus next Sunday for part three of our Pray Again message series. So, Four Corners Church, let me tell you something about you. Your best days are ahead as a disciple. And it's just like God to use a pandemic and all the discomfort to shake and to rattle things to get you to think about what's important. And there's nothing more important than you as a disciple following God completely with your whole heart. There is nothing in this world, in this world worth losing so much that you should not give everything you have over to God. Your best days are ahead as a disciple. Our best days as a church are ahead. I believe that Christians are rising up in new ways with renewed passion and they're getting past the simple convenience-based Christianity. I go to God simply for what I can get out of it. And they're pressing into all that God wants to do redemptively in this world. I'm, I'm excited about it. So I want you with me to get up every morning and ask God to use you powerfully. God, break my heart. Use me today. Let me be a disciple like never before. Fix my heart and mind on you, Jesus. And help me to see what you're doing in this world and help me to get about it. Now, that may sound like a strange way to begin a profound thank you. But I want to say thank you to you because you, through your faithfulness, have already allowed this church to navigate some uncharted waters. 
and you've allowed us to be kind and gracious and good. And we not for one day have had to be different than what our mission has called us to. We are a church uniquely put in North Cincinnati to provide families their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. And not one day have we had to wonder what our mission would be because we can't meet like we normally meet. Not one day have we had to wonder, can we meet our basic financial obligations? Because enough of you get it. I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for being about your father's business. It's making a profound difference. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to use your phone and give online. If you're in the room, you can use the drop boxes in the back, however you want to give. You can also go to our website and do it there. So we're going to ask God to bless our giving, but I'm going to ask you right now to boldly pray with me. God, break my heart. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. God, I want to thank you that there is a holy burden that you will put on our hearts. And I'll boldly ask you now, Father, to ignite a flame in every disciple that's listening online and in this room that you would break our hearts with what breaks yours. God, if that breaking comes because of our own personal pain, let it be. If that breaking comes because of some position of privilege we have and we can see how we can help others, let it be. I pray, Father, that you would strip away consumeristic Christianity. I pray that you would strip away the us for and no more be safe mentality. And I boldly pray that you would set a chart uh, and, and chart a course before us as a church family where more people are called to you, where more people give their hearts to you, where more disciples press into the work that you're doing through them, not just in them. I boldly ask you for more families. I boldly ask you for the ability to make a difference in the next generation. I boldly ask you to, for you to raise up prophets in this place who will stand boldly against the darkness of this world and declare God's way is better. So Jesus, take our steps today. Take our offering and use it for your grand purpose. Your way is better. Your burden is light. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining in today to the 4C podcast. If you took a next step or you'd like to receive prayer, go ahead and email nextsteps at fourcornerschurch.com and we look forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening.